So we come uh, this evening to an introduction to the, the subject of the eldership before we come down to consider the particular qualifications and virtues and characteristics which are set before us in God's word as we look forward with anticipation and hope and looking to the Lord for our election of elders on the 9th of October. Any election involves choices and thinking and preparation for the people who have the right to cast their vote. We have seen this most recently in the election of our new Prime Minister. There were many candidates available there and the bodies were able to direct and narrow this down until there were the two final candidates. The parties and members able to vote were involved in a process of thinking, of weighing up, of evaluation and consideration of suitability, of experience, of the characteristics which would be suitable uh, to, to lead uh, their party uh, and to govern over the nation. And eventually it, it narrowed down uh, to the, the one candidate who has been appointed uh, recently as our new Prime Minister. But of far more importance, arguably, is the election of elders in our small congregation here. God has a special interest in his people, as we were saying and singing. They are his treasure, his choice. And God has given his word primarily not to the nations of the earth, but God has given his word to his church to direct and instruct and guide. In Isaiah 40, that well-known chapter, the nations of the earth are likened to dust in, in small weighing scales, particles which are so small and light. But in that same chapter, his people are considered like lambs in the arms of shepherds, loved and carried and known and cared for. Such is the approach of God, the values that he places on the mighty nations and on his own small, weak, vulnerable, persecuted people. He has a deep interest and a love and a care for his church. And as we come at this time, we come with that confidence and that assurance and that trust that our Heavenly Father, by His Word and by His Spirit and by His providence, will guide us as we seek for new leaders within our congregation here in Newton Arts. And so, on the 9th of October, at the morning service, all members of the congregation will have the opportunity to vote for four people within the congregation. A list of names uh, will be issued to you of those who are eligible to be voted for uh, a week or two weeks before that. A, a week before, a, a voting slip will be given to you with an envelope. And you can put up to four names on that voting slip. You place it into the envelope and you sign the envelope. And then you, you bring it to the service on the 9th of October or give it to another member or an elder, and your vote will be included in the vote counting on the 9th of October.
So what is an elder? Where did this idea come from? What role do they play? Let's think first of all of the origin of elders and secondly of the office of elders and then thirdly of the ordination of elders as we have this introductory thinking and focus on this subject. The origin of elders. Where does this idea come from? We have in our reading here the phrase in in verse 1, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Obviously, the readers were familiar with this office, but where did it come from? Was this something that the New Testament church had thought up themselves? Is this something which the Reformed Presbyterian Church has concocted by its, its own? Elders go, go way back, don't they? Way back to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Back to the synagogue of the Jews in the New Testament. And back, as we see here, to the New Testament church. Elders go back to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. The first reference to elders in the Bible is in Exodus and chapter 3 and verse 16. Probably not a favorable uh, reference to elders. They're complaining. <laughs> they're complaining to Moses about the hardship uh, that they're experiencing in Egypt. But they were there within the nation of Israel. And we read also in the Bible of elders being in the land of Egypt when Joseph's body was being taken out from Egypt. Elders of Egypt accompanied his body in Genesis chapter 50. We read of other nations like Moab, for example, in Numbers 22 verse 7, who had elders. So this was a common idea and practice among the nations in Old Testament times And we have over a hundred references to elders within Israel in the Old Testament. We read this morning of elders down at Jerusalem who were prominent in the covenant renewal commitment in the time of the king in 2 Chronicles 34. And so this idea of elders is something that is rooted in in the life and practice of the Old Testament. We have local elders found in different cities on particular occasions uh, to oversee the the civil and religious practices of the the town and community. In the book of Ruth, when Boaz desires to redeem Ruth and her family, the elders congregate to oversee this practice and decision that Boaz had. When King David is anointed as a a young lad in the presence of Samuel at Bethlehem, the elders have accompanied Samuel to that very special moment of anointing. The elders were there in the towns, in the villages, to listen to cases, to decide on issues, to oversee and care for the religious practice within the nation. But in the Old Testament, there there also seems to be a subset of elders. This was something which emerged at the time of Jethro, 
who saw Moses struggling under the weight of responsibility, the burden of caring for the whole nation of Israel, reaching to over two million at the time, trying to listen to everyone's problems, trying to sort out every dispute and difficulty, that the man was crumbling beneath the weight of responsibility. And so Jethro, his father-in-law, advised Moses with common wisdom and common sense that, that he needs help, that he needs to share this burden of oversight of, of this large congregation. And so it was decided in Numbers chapter 11 that 70 elders would be taken from the, the wider group of elders and would assist Moses in his work. They would listen to the, the lower cases, the easier cases, the small cases, and then that the larger issues would be brought to Moses. And so within the nation of Israel, that there was the general use of elders within towns and cities, but there was also this special body of elders, which Numbers 11 says, shared the burden with Moses. And it's that concept of, of a, a group of men to share the responsibilities and the decisions and the leadership and the pastoral needs of the congregation that we are seeking at this time. Eldership was also found within the synagogues of the Jews. The synagogues, as you know, uh, sprung up in the time of the, the captivity when the people were away from Jerusalem and the promised land. There were groups of people, a minimum of, of 10 families or, or breadwinners who met together to, to form a, a society, uh, to worship God, to hear his law, to pray and fellowship together. And this body of believers and pious people and worshippers continued into the New Testament times. And we have Jesus and we have the apostles going regularly to the synagogue outside of Jerusalem, out into the regions of Palestine, Capernaum. Jesus is in the synagogue and the synagogue in Nazareth. And then the apostle Paul and the other apostles go into synagogues all over the Roman world. And they had elders, sometimes called rulers in the New Testament. They were there to oversee the worship, to care for the pastoral needs of the congregation. We have them inviting Paul and Barnabas to come forward and to minister God's word. We have them at times excommunicating members whom they had regarded had erred. The elders were there in the synagogue to oversee the religious and pastoral needs of the congregation. And then we have the New Testament church. And at numerous places in the New Testament writings, we have mention of elders. In Ephesians chapter, in Acts chapter 20, Paul asks the Ephesian elders to, to meet with him. And to discuss the future of the congregation. When Paul writes to 
the church at Philippi, in the very first verse, he addresses the elders and the deacons. At Jerusalem, we read of elders who were overseeing the congregations there. And in Lystra, and in Iconium, and in the book of Titus, we read of Titus being on the island of Crete. And he was to appoint elders in that congregation. The origin of this office, rooted in the Old Testament church, followed through into the synagogue of the intertestamental and New Testament era, and adopted within the congregations of the New Testament. Over the years, some Christians have cited the 23rd Psalm to me. In this context, the Lord is my shepherd. And I don't need an elder to look after me. They maintain that their faith is personal. It's one-to-one. It's between them and Jesus. They're accountable to him. Their relationship is with him. They don't need any male elder, any oversight from any congregation to care for them, to encourage them, to rebuke them, to help them. They're under Christ. The Lord is my shepherd, they say. And he will look after them. I think they will get a surprise when they get to heaven because Revelation informs us that in heaven there are 24 elders. Now there's symbolism attached to that but the principle is there. That there is supervision. That there are those who have that role in that perfect place. In God's thinking, in God's word, in God's arrangement of his church. There is this office of oversight and care and authority that he has appointed in his word. We recognize the importance of civil authority. How good it is that that someone's looking after the defense of these islands. That that someone is is managing refuge collection. That that someone is, is in control of developments within technology above and beyond us. We recognize the wisdom, the importance of civil government. And we're also to recognize the importance of church government. It's divine appointment, it's value, it's place, it's importance within our Christian walk and life. Abraham Lincoln described civil government as from the people, by the people, for the people. And as we come to elect elders, we adopt this same divine model. From the people, 
by the people, for the people, under the wisdom and direction of the Spirit of God. So the origin of this office, it's ancient. It goes away back. It's been there and it's continued to be there. The wisdom, the value, the importance of elders has been recognized over time. And we recognize it in our church at this time. But think secondly of the the office of elders. What what, what is this function that's been referred to here in verse 1? If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Well, in the New Testament, there are two types of elders which are recognized, both referred to within the book of 1 Timothy. One is that the teaching elder in verse 17 of chapter 5 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And this is is my my job, uh, my my role, uh, to to labor in that preaching and teaching, to prepare the sermons, to deliver the sermons, to unpack the truths of God's word for you. And you're not electing an associate minister uh, at this time. Teaching elder is one aspect of the office of eldership. But what we are electing is ruling elders. Elders who will have authority and oversight and care for the congregation. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 28, uh, we read of a a list of gifts which the Holy Spirit has given uh, within the church of Christ And one of these gifts is administering. And the ruling elder is one dimension of administering within the body of Christ. So over the spiritual needs and values and cares of the members. The deacons handle the practical dimension of the church, don't they? And and handle it well. They look after the finance and the building. They look after the the practical needs of members within the congregation and reach out to those practical needs with practical help. The duty of the, the ruling elders is to care for the spiritual needs of the congregation. To desire their growth and care. To watch out for those who stray. To encourage those who are committed And taking on new responsibilities. They are called shepherds. In 1 Peter 5 verse 2. They are called overseers. In Acts 20 verse 28. Shepherding the spiritual lives of the congregation. Overseeing the spiritual development of the congregation. They are ruling within the congregation. Various descriptions are found within the New Testament of the roles of elders. In Hebrews 13 verse 7 and 17 we we read of them. They are those who watch for your souls. Their primary role is to look out for your spiritual development and growth. In verse 17 they are over you in the Lord. There is this element of authority and 
care and, and rule that attaches to their office. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12, we read, they have the rule over you. James 5, they're described as visiting and praying with the sick. In Acts 15, they're described as being involved in the the wider work of the church at synod and presbytery level, deciding on issues related to the spiritual needs of local congregations. They do this by prayer, by visitation, by teaching, by example. They bear the burden of the people. One occasion, an elder spoke to a young man about his behavior. The young man belonged uh, to the congregation in which the elder had oversight. The young man was irked by this and responded to the elder that he should mind his own business. And the elder replied, that's exactly what I'm doing. Oversight of the spiritual lives of the congregation. The word elder has been misunderstood, has been misapplied. It's sometimes thought that elder means older. And perhaps in the Old Testament, the elder was older. They were someone who was revered because of their age and because of their older years as someone perceived to have wisdom and experience. But that is not the dominant meaning within the word elder in the New Testament. Timothy himself is described as someone who was young and yet loaded with immense responsibility. When we had an election of elders in Ballyclare many years ago, out of all the people who could have been chosen, there was only one elder elected. It was a man in his 20s. But as the congregation considered the qualifications and as they looked around at the lives and commitments of those within the congregation, this was the only person whom they overwhelmingly elected to be an elder. He had the graces, a large degree of wisdom, godliness, commitment to the congregation, involvement in the work of the church, As you think of the election of new elders, we're not to be steered merely by age. We're to be guided by the directives that we're given in God's word. The characteristics that are set out here for us, whatever age the person may be. Thirdly, the ordination of elders. Elders are ordained, as as Titus says, and and we'll see that in in our studies there. The word means established, set down, made, appointed. They they move from being a member uh, within the congregation or or perhaps a, a deacon within the congregation. 
and they are ordained, appointed as an elder. And that's that movement, that's that shift, it does involve some special features. Moving from be, being a member to being ordained, set, placed as an elder it involves certain aspects. One is we trust, we pray the equipping of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting when the, the new monarch is appointed that there is this hidden, this secret ceremony where the religious official and the monarch come before God and the, and the monarch is anointed with oil, symbolic of the desire of the church that God will equip the new ruler. And it is our prayer, our desire, that at that moment, when someone moves from being a member to being an elder, there will descend upon them a special equipping of the Holy Spirit. The biblical basis for this is in Numbers 11, in that special moment when the 70 elders were chosen from among the elders of the nation of Israel. And as they were ordained, appointed to that new role and function, the Holy Spirit came down on them to equip them and enable them for their work. They were obviously men who were gifted. They obviously were men who were leaders. They obviously were suitable candidates for this work already. But additional to that, and we trust in our ordination of, of, of new elders, additional to all the prayer and good wishes and biblical counsel, there will come down upon the men an equipping of the Holy Spirit. A second distinctive, a second shift in, in the moment of, of ordination is, is the commitment of the candidate themselves to be a member within the congregation. We have our terms of membership and that third term of membership that we show a submissive uh, spirit uh, to the, the teachings of the Reformed Presbyterian Church is there for people who are not fully convinced of all the distinctives of our denomination. And members, members are able to, to fellowship and work and serve within our congregation with that term. But the elder gives a greater commitment. The elder at ordination expresses his full compliance with the doctrines of the Westminster Confession of Faith and with the contents of the testimony of the Reformed Presbyterian Church. So there is this incredible shift, this, this big difference between those who are members within the congregation 
and those who will be ordained as elders over the congregation. And so in your thinking, in your praying, in your voting, think of the the theological conviction of those whom you will vote to be elders. Think of their commitment to the witness and testimony and principles of the Reformed Presbyterian Church. This ordination not only involves, we trust, the special equipping of the Spirit, not only involves this higher commitment of the individual to the doctrines and the testimony of our church, but it is something which the people, you, are involved in. The new elders are chosen by the congregation. We come to this moment of ordination from the people, guided by the word and the spirit. The key verse determining this is Acts 14 verse 20, that elders were elected, the Greek is, by a show of hands. It was the congregation who chose the new leaders within the church. And on the 9th of October, members of Newton Arts will elect elders. King Charles III was was appointed king before before we realized that there was the appointment of a king, but he was given that role by virtue of his inheritance, by virtue of his position within his family. But elders within the congregation will be chosen by the members of the congregation, prayerfully guided by the word, the preaching, the spirit and providence of God. And so, in choosing elders, you think of their character. You think of their roles within their homes and families, their Christian maturity, their theology, their commitment to the church. It's different from being a member within the congregation. It involves a greater commitment and understanding desire to see the spiritual needs of the congregation cared for, matured, and developed. The origin then. We can't be wiser than God. We were thinking in our Bible class this morning of our DIY exploits and how the instructions come and some of us use them more than others in the production of the the item that we have purchased. But here God has given us, he who knows his church and orders his church, has given us the directions of how his church is to be run. Some congregations have no elders. Some churches have one elder. Some churches have female elders. But in God's word, a plurality of male elders is the model that he gives to us. After preaching on the characteristics of elders, a 
female member of the congregation came to me and said, I'm glad I'm not a man. Now, she maybe had a whole list of reasons why she was glad she was not a man, but one of them was that she couldn't be elected for this responsibility. She taught Sabbath school. She hosted the ladies' Bible study in her front room. She was involved in disabled Christian fellowship. She was the most optimistic member of the congregation and she was more than happy to submit to the authority of God's word that the plurality of male elders should rule. The office. The metaphor used in Old and New Testament is a shepherd knowing the sheep. Loving the sheep, leading the sheep, looking out for straying sheep, taking the sheep with them. Such a metaphor of the work and oversight and management involved in being an elder. The ordination of elders. It's kind of like a graduation from university. You may have studied computer science at at university and when you leave and graduate and get a job, you don't become a computer scientist then or programmer, but you become a better programmer in your job. The knowledge, the qualities, the basics were there in your university degree, but when you graduate and, and move into the work, all of that knowledge and ability which was latent within you and, 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 and flashes off were seen by your future employer come to life and grow and develop. And this is like ordination. You're looking out for men who have the root of the matter in them, who have the potential, who have the qualities That in ordination, those qualities are going to grow and develop and flourish and mature. So who would be an elder then? Some long nights, isn't there, men? Some criticisms of our work. Some disappointments. Some hard nuts to crack in those session meetings and decisions to take. Who would be an elder? Who will give their time? Who would give their life? Who would give their energy? Who would give their heart to others in such a work? Only those who feel deeply the love of the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. And so we look to God over these weeks that he will guide us as we consider his word and pray regarding the election of elders.